And what's happening, everybody? Welcome on in to the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you get your podcast, the free version going out every Wednesday at the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, all, all the others. Uh, they're on the major po- podcast platforms as well as YouTube, Rumble, all the... I'm just spreading myself out just so I can get as many listeners and viewers as I can here on this podcast. My name is Tony Mazur. Uh, I am also on Patreon. So if you uh, support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. For just three bucks a month, you get early access to guests as well as other content. And one of those guests you get early access to is the one who is on right now with me. His name is Bennett Yellen. And Bennett is a longtime writer. Although I don't want long time makes it seem like you're an old man, but I don't want to say I that. am an old man, Tony. So that's absolutely accurate. Yeah. Well, so, if yeah. if the I'm birth date that right I now. saw on IMDb <laughs> is correct, you don't yeah. look that age. Uh, I know. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes I guess being inside, being indoors, being away from nature for extended periods of time, like all writers do. Uh, you don't get exposed to the elements as much. So <laughs> you don't get yep. worn down as quickly. I'm going to put this on right now because I just got it today on the uh, picket line. I thought, ah, it just occurred so to me. So we're, we're recording this. It's uh, early June right now. And like I said, you are a writer. You're a Hollywood writer. And uh, you're dealing with a writer's strike right now. And you and I yeah. were talking off the air about uh, the big strike that happened in 2007, 2008. And- yeah. A lot of the uh, the shows got shut down. I remember Jay Leno was shut down, and uh, well, then there were there were scabs, and there were other places that were completely shut down. Others that were crossing the picket lines. And uh, yeah, I, first thing I, I want to ask because you are on the front lines. You are you have a sign. If you want to pan over and show the oh, sign yeah, that I you just... have there. Uh, for for folks what's watching that? on YouTube, what's, what's that there? What's what's that say? <laughs> so uh, to, to me, it looks Russian because it's completely backwards. But uh, hopefully, it's it's it writes itself and it makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. We don't want it to be Russian. I, I think that's a pretty bad <laughs> thing nowadays. Uh, yeah, um, oh God, please. So yeah. so what's interesting about Hollywood writers that we've heard in the last, you know, how, you've you've probably heard this since you started your career is uh, there's no new ideas that are happening in Hollywood. Writers are just going back to the well and it's the same old shit over and over. We can curse, by the way, if you want. Oh, uh, the same old stuff over and over and over again. They're trying to reinvent the wheel. There's nothing original. It's just superhero movies and Star Wars. And ultimately, we realize that as much as the Tom Cruises will get paid two $20 million for Top Gun and there's money just seems like it's just it's a sieve. It's just floating out there for so many <laughs> of these actors. Yeah. The writers are getting virtually nothing. I mean, they are uh, like contract, like the old contract players from the MGM Paramount days. And you guys are really working for peanuts. So yeah. you want some fair pay. So in your way, can you explain what's going on this writer strike, how it's different from other writer strikes or if it's similar? And uh, what is what is your side? What are you guys looking in terms of trying to get some kind of compensation? What is what and what is I what is a compromise down the road if you can get get there? Wow, that that's a so so we have four hours today. Is that right? Because that, uh, well, takes, it was it was going to be five, but you know it's you know we're pressed for time today. That'll take easily take. I, I first <laughs> of all, I apologize to anybody listening because I am the worst. Uh, I'm the worst person to try and explain uh, the the strike, but I'm going to try and give you my ABC, my very elemental. What's what's going on here, and and. Uh, there are there are kind of some. Let's first take it. What's what's at essence? What's happening is that uh, writers who used to be able to, and and first of all, I want to just 
I want to shake the image of anyone who writes for the industry is wealthy and they all have multiple homes and multiple families <laughs> and, and, and multiple swimming pools and they live extraordinarily uh, high-end lives that, that, none, that no one else, and so they're all spoiled uh, whiny bastards. That's half of that's true. No, <laughs> I am whiny sometimes, but I'm not spoiled. But that's not true. And what's happened is that uh, it's such an old story, you know, it, like the companies make more and more and more money. And then they want, and then they look at the money they're making and they're saying, how can we, how can we shave, how do we make more money? Well, you know, you know, how you make more money, you find ways to cut what the what money you're paying out to people and that's what happens is the trickle down ends up coming down to the riders who end up being paid less and less and i'll give you a simple example of how of, of this just because a lot of this this strike is very much focused on the tv writers and tv which is now uh, we it's streaming it's a streaming industry this we now have a technology that in 15 years ago when we struck streaming was just starting we didn't know what it meant quite you know so so we we sort of made some preliminary agreements not realizing that streaming would become the basic way that most television entertainment is presented now it just is it's huge it, and very much the way that um uh with napster when when musicians and napster and that came, that came around and and now all music musicians were trying to figure out how do we get appropriately compensated for our songs and for for the, our work now that there's this new technology that's very much what, what when we'll get back to more new tech not technology with ai but let's say you you you're lucky enough to to have be on a show and you're writing for a show now uh years ago not that long ago a, a typical season for for one show would be let's say 22 episodes you're hired, you're a writer, you're on a show, and you get paid a certain amount for 22 episodes. Now, what the reality now is there's only 10 episodes a season, and they're paying you less per episode than they paid you when you wrote 22 episodes. That's what's happening. That's the, the, the inequality of compensation. You're getting paid less for writing less. Uh, so that's one thing, a big element that's being addressed is this change in in the in the way that the tv writers get paid that's one uh, um and there are other way more arcane problems like these things called mini rooms that and, and that's that's it would take an hour to explain that one but but and that's more of an inside kind of thing that that but but again the bottom line of that is it cuts down on on paying a writer uh, employing a writer for the amount of time a writer should get employed. I know writers who had to write on two or three shows to make up for the amount of episodes that they would have written just like five years previously working on one show, you know, and is still struggling because they're not getting enough. So that's that element. Then well, cause it, what, what, I'll, I'll, I just want to stop really quick because sure. I'm friends with uh, uh, another TV writer who lives in New York now named Tom Leopold. Oh, and, Tom Leopold. Yeah, I've heard. And Tom has, has written for Cheers. He's written for Seinfeld. He created Seinfeld. the uh, Babu Bot character and uh, the, the suicide episode with Newman was going to jump off the, the building and everything. He's and right. of, of course, yeah. you talk about something like Seinfeld that to this day is on Comedy Central, still gets residuals. I just saw his episode a couple of days ago. Yeah. 
so he's going to get a check. Now, I don't know how big that check is. I'm not a Hollywood guy. I'm here in Ohio with a very dimly lit uh, backdrop here. <laughs> if you're watching. <laughs> That's a backdrop? I thought that was yes, a real exactly. wall. See, if it gets darker than, than this uh, this uh, ring light that I have, which is just a porch light that'll pop up, it'll be really nice. But I see some so moths floating. Yeah, so yeah, so you talk about residuals that you're going to yeah. get that check. Now, you know, I've heard people getting, getting checks for like six cents and others are getting oh, yeah. like really nice checks because they have producer credits as well. Yeah. But then you get to the streaming element where the shows that are exclusively on YouTube or I mean, not YouTube, but uh, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu that yeah. where is those residuals and where is the watchability factor? And how does that factor into some of these writers that for something that people are already paying into because they have a subscription service? What is that compensation going to be like? And I was concerned about that, like you said, about the Napster thing when um, when uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, for, uh, Lars from Metallica was really upset by it. And I think a lot of people really kind of they didn't get it at the time. And I no. think they've come around and understood. Wow. So I get this music for I used to I used to go to an uh, uh, some like a Sam Goody, a Camelot music and buy a CD for seventeen dollars. Now I pay ten bucks and get unlimited music. Who's getting paid here? And I think it's a fascinating thing when you look at streaming and how many of these services out there and you go, okay, so this is a great show. You enjoy this, but where's the compensation? Who's getting paid a show like succession? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, you're going to get, uh, <laughs> Brian Cox is going to make a lot of money and some of the characters, but what about the writers? What are they getting paid for this? And, uh, yeah. That's one thing that I've always been wondering, and you wonder about the product down the road is, does that compromise things because they're not getting compensated properly? And there's no, there's no, what they do, uh, streaming companies that have streaming services play this game where there's no transparency. They won't tell you how much they're making and how they break it down, how they're making it. And so you don't know what your product on that, on that streaming service is making you don't know what what it's making them and that's where you have to figure out what residuals are so one of the things we want we need is, is we're trying to get more transparency from them if they tell us what they're making then we know what we're owed that's the bottom line of it and we're and they're not telling us so we're trying to figure out new ways to new to to get what we're owed uh that's another thing too and then the whole ai thing which has become such a big part of the publicity that, that associated with this is we're sort of on the front lines of, of, of an industry where the, the AI impacting it could have a huge impact. And, uh, and so we, have, as writers, we like to think, we have writers, because we're so misbegotten, because we, we, we're, 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 we always feel like we're like, if, 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 if there's, we're like sub-tundra when it comes to being appreciated, <laughs> we're like underneath, we're, we always fantasize that we want to be appreciated. We want, we want some, we, we want to know that we are an important and a hugely important part of the creative wheel, you know, and, and that you can't do it without us. That's what we want. We need to hear because that's what we believe. And that's, that's what I believe, you know, an AI, basically what AI does. And I, I, I think it, instead of being called, uh, you know, uh, what is AI say? Artificial intelligence. It should be called, like uh, more like like artificial. It, it just it's not it's not thinking. It's just reconstituting. Oh, art, yeah. let's just call it repurposeful. Repurposeful, yeah, yeah con, reconstitution. And so it's it's taking thing, but it doesn't create. It doesn't 
combine them and come up with a new creation. It combines them and comes up with a, a Frankenstein monster creation that's not that doesn't do things in a, in a, in a uh, graceful, intelligent, creative way. And so we're worried that that studios are going to use AI for part of the of the creative process, like generating, uh, you know, maybe a crappy first draft of a TV of a TV script, and then they'll mm -hmm. bring the writers in to smooth it out to make it better. And of course, thinking that way, they're like, and for a lot less, for a lot less yeah. than if the right the writers are the original creators of that content. And, and so that's something that we have to establish now and for everybody. And and it is for everybody because if AI, it's not just for writing. AI is for for voiceover talent. It's it's. AI is for actors. They can recreate an actor. I mean, uh, um, so we're the first ones sitting at the table really talking about it and dealing with the reality of it, the reality of artificial. Yeah, so yeah, that's well, and, another and, and element. I, and I think with artificial intelligence, AI, like this has been something that's always been, it will continue to be in the back of my mind as somebody who is, uh, I worked in radio for 15 years. I'm a stand-up comedian and uh, when you think of TV writing, I think the first thing that it really is going to affect is legacy musicians in a positive way. So mm. you can be Bruce Springsteen and all you have to do is just fart out spring or like Springsteen isms like New Jersey and working man and everything. And Red Hot Chili Peppers can talk about mm. California and all that. And you go, oh, hey, here's a Red Hot Chili Pepper song that talks about California and you know, a uh, couple of rhymes and everything. And you go, okay, that might work for an artist who's in his 60s or whatever, but what about today's artists and how are they, go are they going to use artificial intelligence or like, where's the heart to it? That's the one thing that's missing about AI is there is no soul to AI. No, yeah, it's, it doesn't have there's, human touch. And it's the same with stand-up comedies that you will see a lot of comedians who are just going to say, all right, Let's see, I talk about uh, marijuana and depression and uh, uh, my girlfriend left me or whatever the case is, put that in AI and you do it in your voice. Like you can make certain art, certain comedians, their art, their artificial intelligence through that, their material yeah. and go like, make a joke that sounds like Jerry Seinfeld uh, that uh, could be present day and everything. And it, it could come out. It's just, there's no soul behind it. And what you guys are fighting for, you, you writers are, look, nobody can replicate this. You can try and it can come close, but there's no replication of how, like the soul of a true writer, whether it's a comedy writer, a, a drama writer, because they're pulling from their own experiences. And of course, as we know, AI has no experiences. Yeah, well, well, I mean, of all, I'm sure that you've seen some of the AI generated. Like they've done it. They've they've done they've done like a TV script. I saw an AI generated uh, Seinfeld script. I know you've probably read. I've seen AI generated comedy material that you read it and it's a joke that it's not a joke. Like it's so not funny, but yeah. it thinks it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's it's like somebody at a party who thinks they're funny saying something that's not funny at all. There's a great article. God, I wish I remember where it was from, where Charlie Brooker, who's the brilliant guy who created Black Mirror, the show Black Mirror, which is a fantastic. He had it create, generate a Black Mirror episode. And he read it and he said, it just took all the, the ideas I've had in all my other episodes and it just glommed them together in the worst way. It said it was such a piece of crap. It's such a piece of shit, you know. 
and that's it, you know. And but that's what uh, I think uh, the writers' fear is that they don't the studios don't care how they get a first draft. Once they've got something, there's a structure or whatever. We'll bring in the writers for a very reduced price and have them rewrite. And that's just not it's not going to work, you know. And we have to put our foot down and our feet down and let them know that and 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 really establish things now because this technology it, it, we we don't know how far it's going to go but we've got to we got to do something now at the beginning now you know? would you say writers are adverse to ai like that's one thing i'm i'm concerned about too because you also don't want to be the people that like i i think of the radio dj's of the early 80s who said screw mtv you know that'll <laughs> we're still the rock radio you know everyone's going to wake up to us and then you realize now nah, you kind of were dinosaurs you were stuck in the past you couldn't uh, embrace the new technology that's happening but yeah. when this technology cuz ever since the smartphone came around and that Everybody can be a, a, a YouTube or a TikTok celebrity. Everybody yeah. can be this or that. And you realize, wow, so these random people, they, they didn't achieve anything. Like you can have something go viral and then you can be a star within days. And I, I, I think the I think a lot of people are apt to embracing new technology. But what's the cost? Yeah, well, there's no question. The reality is it's here. It's here and it's only going, it's not going away. It is definitely, I mean, I won't, I won't even call it a Pandora's box because that's making it seem like it's all awful. I think there's probably a lot of fantastic positive uh, applications for it. And it's just a question of how do we as writers in this industry, how do we learn to live with it? How maybe, maybe we, we can't, there are ways to embrace it. Uh, we have to figure that out. But we also have to make sure that we don't get uh, minimize uh, the the importance of our our human the human interact the human touch that we bring to something that creativity that that can't be done by AI we can't we shouldn't we can't be minimized uh, by that that so what's so is, our contribution as far as the compromise goes because you know I, are you far apart are you or in your opinion are you far apart are you getting some kind of inroads i mean this is really has been a, basically a month now this is a lot of negotiations does this carry on through the summer does this carry on well into the fall when we get to a lot of the or we get to pilot season and everything like uh do you see an end to this anytime soon well there here's the thing there are no negotiations they left the table oof uh, and so there's there's nothing. We've been we've been they left, and as a result of them leaving, we that's when we started the strike. So we're absolutely waiting for them to come back. You know, they just made a deal with the DGA, and so but uh, in, in a couple of weeks, the uh, SAG, the Actors Guild, is well, their their contract ends. SAG just yesterday voted 97 percent to authorize the strike if they can't get a deal within two weeks, or, or you know by the end of the month. And it's very possible they won't. And if SAG goes out, that's a huge hit. I mean, if the actors don't show up, that's a huge hit. And and that's that that will that could very well impact uh, the the studios to come back to the table and start talking, which is what we want to get them to do. They're just they're just not doing it yet. Um, I think also as it goes along, what I think has to happen is they have to see the they have to see the impact on their product. And they have to see it in very practical ways. I mean, that's why we're picketing. We literally picket to keep trucks 
from going into the studios so that we, we're trying to disrupt production so that whatever disruption we're, we're trying to impact the product that they're making. And once they see that they don't have scripts past a certain date, and I know they've probably figured this out already when we're going to run out of material that written material, uh, once they know that they can't get scabs, if there are scabs who are coming in to write for them and, and it's going to start impacting the schedule. That's the time when they're going to say like, okay, let's, let's sit down and, you know, and of course they, they're, they're not doing they're not the ones walking every day, Monday through Friday. So they're they're in perfectly fine health to wait it out, you know. But we're not. It's so clear. We're not going anywhere. We're we're there until they until they come back to the table and until we get a, a deal that we think is is solid and and good and and worthwhile and worth uh, worth accepting. So we're it, we're it, absolutely not going anywhere. No. It kind of seems like the beginning of COVID is that when the, all the studios, when everything kind of got shut down is we're all stuck at home. We we're looking for something to watch on TV. So everyone ran to you know, like wh whether they already had a subscription or not, they got a subscription to Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime and you're watching everything. OK, well, a lot of that stuff had been written the last couple of years. Eventually, then things started to dry up because that's when things got shut down. So it, uh, yeah, yeah, eventually that people need to get together. And like you said, that when, you know, when we realize <laughs> there's not too much when we're watching Mr. Belvedere rerun reruns, we're like, all right, it gets to that, it, yeah. get back to the negotiating table here. Pro yeah. That's, that's the bottom. That is the bottom line. If we ever reach the Mr. Belvedere reruns have a spike in popularity they're going to know we better get back to the table. Well, There's look, no when when Bob Euchre is one of the great actors on the show, <laughs> when, when you're a baseball <laughs> announcer. <laughs> so, former, yeah, former, yeah, exactly. Bob Euchre. Although, did you hear that rumor uh, about Christopher Hewitt? I've heard this from several different people. I have heard it, of course. The, yes, the, uh, yeah. You, you're welcome to tell it as I adjusted myself uncomfortably. Yeah, exactly. Let me let me adjust myself here and what I'm wearing. But uh, Ouch. so so there's apparently there was there was a rumor, and I think it's been confirmed. I, I believe um, uh, a couple of people did were on the lot. I don't remember which lot it was who confirmed the story that they had to halt production of Mr. Belvedere in the late 1980s because Christopher Hewitt, who played the the character. He sat on his balls <laughs> the wrong way and had to be taken to the hospital. I don't know if it was the hospital or if they just had to pause production, but he apparently sat on his testicles the wrong way. And look, if you're somebody who has testicles, you've probably sat on them the wrong way. You've sat on your keys or something, and it's not pleasant. And especially if you're <laughs> the, the, the main character of a fairly popular sitcom in the late 1980s, uh, you probably should stop production over. And I, and I think also implied in the story, which which you very uh, graciously left out, was that his genitalia was so pendulous that <laughs> that this is why this happened. Like, like not everybody accidentally sits on on their 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 testicles, but that his were were so damn pendulous that uh, and that that that's how the accident occurred and and. Uh, yeah, I don't. This it almost sounds like the the Richard Gere, uh, you know, durable story. Yeah, durable story. Like, oh, you know, that's true because my sister was a nurse and she was actually in the emergency room when when you know, when they brought Richard Gere and Mr. Uh, and yeah and uh, yeah. for yeah, human. It was well, the same night. 
It's like th- those things are hanging. It's like, look, it's Los Angeles. You're dealing with Anything some happens. hot temperatures. Those things yes. got to be hanging like melted Turkish taffy. It was. <laughs> it was probably during the summer. The way to check if it really happened was find out the date, find out if it was a heat wave. Like, like there's ways to actually follow it up. Check a good investigative journalist. This would make a good movie. You know, like she said, it's just it's sort of a whole new take on it. I think Doug Benson was the first one I heard talk about that. And he was for a long time. Doug Benson was a, was an extra. He would just be an extra in everything. And he was the one who's like, yep, I was on the, and I heard a couple other people say, oh yeah, they had to stop production. But uh, so, uh, but before we go on, we'll talk about your career and everything. Uh, You mentioned to me off the air that, and I was like getting plugs out there first for people that you are working on something that of course got halted because of this writer's strike, but are you able to tell anything about any details and then whenever, hopefully sooner rather than later, when this thing gets resolved, that we can get a chance to partake in whatever you're working on? Well, it's 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 sort of it's the, it's a perfect example of the give and take of what happens with a strike like this. And, and I've been I started writing in like 80. I joined the Guild in like 86 or 87. So I was part of I, I, I was around for the there was a big strike in 1988. Then there was the one in, in 2008. And then there's this one. This is the third one where I'm on a picket line and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm like 63 years old. I'm like, oh, come on. You know, each time I, I get 50, I, I'm years older. I'm like, please don't make me go out and pick it again. But you do, you pick it because you're doing it for the rest of the guild. I love my, my guild. I love my union. But so what happened was I have a writing partner who I've written with for years. Uh, not, I mean, I wrote with the Farrelly brothers for years, but I've had, I've always written with writing partners because I like, to be part of a team. I enjoy the give and take. I enjoy the friendship of it. It's not as lonely. I can't think of anything more lonely than uh, going into a room and closing the door and, and being by yourself. I wouldn't ever want to do it. It's, you know, and it's so much fun to hang out with your friend, you know, and, and toss hilarious things, you know, if you're writing comedy or any kind of writing, just to toss it back and forth and, and, to, and to mold it back and forth. So, my writing partner, James, and I wrote a spec script a few years ago called Traction. And it's it's not a comedy. It's a supernatural thriller. Uh, and it, it, essentially, it's it's a, a young woman wakes up and she's in a hospital room in Traction. She has no idea who she is, how she got there, complete amnesia. And something, someone or something does not want her there. They want It wants her out. And, and what it is and what's happening to her all gets revealed. Uh, but it's a it's a supernatural thriller and uh and we just we sold it hours before the strike the the producer who was interested in it uh took us to breakfast and said guys what's the reality of, of the strike happening next week and we said it it's, looks like it's going to happen so he said then i want to get your script i want to buy your script before the strike starts because he wanted to go into pre-production with him so that's what happened literally like hours before the strike we got wow. paperwork done we got it signed now that the now that's that's fantastic. I mean, we were thrilled. The spec script in this in this time in this market, you know, we were we were very happy about it. Here's the the, the other side of it: we can't work on it. You know, they're in pre-production, and we can't do any rewrites or anything. We can't because we're on strike. We cannot do that. So that's the plus and the minus. I mean, it, it got bought and it's being produced, but at, until the strike is over, they want to shoot it in September or October, which means it'll come out next year. Excellent. But, uh, 
Yeah, but so I'm. I'm I mean, thrilled. excellent. All, all intents and purposes here. That is, as long as we get to this point, we get to that. Like I said, the the hopeful compromise when people realize, yes, realize the there's not much on the, much to watch on television anymore, and they come to the negotiating table. But we'll we'll keep an eye out for that when that comes out. So it's it's great that you guys got in at the eleventh hour there. It, it was truly the eleventh hour, and, and we were really pleased with that. And. uh and there'll probably be there'll, there'll be publicity on it, but we can't we can't do anything, and then and respectfully we can't do it. So so it's it's weird to be watching it from afar. Like they had a, a reading, and we saw they had a reading, and we're like, darn it, we wish we could have been there for that, and might have been able to help. And but that's of that's the, the nature of it, and and yeah. you, I understand it. Well, I, you know, I, now that you have some time, you know, when you're not on the picket lines, I can <laughs> do a podcast with you. And uh, so I'll pull up here on your IMDb page, of course, <laughs> being no, which uh, the IMDb page, I'm looking at a lot of the stuff with it uh, you were a part of. And I've uh, never been confronted with my IMDb page. Yes. Go ahead. Well, you know, you want to try to do a little bit more multimedia. You don't want just two talking heads talking on a podcast here. So when it goes on YouTube, you get to show the visual element, too. So you I, I did like uh, you did do a little acting. You have uh, the credits as guy on a plane and sound effects guy number one and stuck on you. Yeah. You know, what's ridiculous is that I didn't I, I because I, I haven't checked this for a while, but I, I appear in uh, Dumb and Dumber 2 three times, three, three, three. Uh, as a as an extra, like in the background, I'm sort of featured in the background. I didn't put those those because I didn't know what to call myself. Guy buying a, buying a soda, guy peeing on the side of a of a apartment building, and guy waiting in line to get a hot dog. That's that that's what should be down there. That's missing. That's an incomplete IMDb. <laughs> yeah, we got to update this. What's going on? It's gonna be like Wikipedia where we you Horrible. know. The the viewers can go check it out. But uh, so uh, being known for Dumb and Dumber, and I I've talked about it many a times that uh, it is still one of my top comedy movies, just movies in general. I am a comedy is doing standup comedy that I'm a comedy guy. Yeah. And if you're talking about some of the greatest comedies, and I think it's so weird because I, I feel like it's a monolith. Whenever you talk about your favorite comedians, everyone just resorts to, well, it's either Richard Pryor or George Carlin. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we get it. You, you don't really explore too much. You're just kind of told that that is the case. But growing up, my favorite comedy movies were Airplane, Blazing Saddles, The Naked Gun, which I watched again last night, and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, and you start to realize there's a lot of shared writing and stuff. Of course, the ZAZ Zucker, Abram Zucker, and uh, and then yeah. you have the Fairley Brothers, and the Fairley Brothers, of course, in charge of uh, Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, and uh, there's something about Mary. And you're, I mean, I, talking to the guy who is like really in charge of Dumb and Dumber, which is one of my favorite movies. That you know, when you watch a movie when you're a kid, and it's it, next year is going to be 30 years. Came out in 1994. It's a movie that. You watch things as a kid. You're like, OK, that was goofy. But as I get older, I'm I'm assuming this movie's just it's not going to hold out. There's jokes that aren't good. And I watched it again, maybe I think about three weeks ago. And I'm laughing like I watched it the first time still. So talk about the whole thing, because you really are the backbone of this movie. A lot of people will say, oh, the Fairly Brothers that was a Fairly Brothers movie. But you're really, <laughs> really the central nervous system with this whole franchise here. <laughs> Well, that's very, Tony, that's very kind of you. But I, as a writer, I, I have a, a, an instant modesty module that, that keeps me very humble. And, and honestly, it is 
that that movie is all three of us you know like i i would it, it we wrote it together uh and they they directed it together they directed it together but it really was it, it everything all the work we did represented the three of us perfect a blend it was really a blending of all of us so i would never take you know any credit other than as a third of of the 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 uh, what put that together so you were so the, there was like the fairly brothers and you were kind of like the zaz right like you it really, guys it, just... it was and what's what's ironic or is it, maybe ironic isn't the right word so we'll we'll come up with another one at the end but pete and i met in graduate school and then uh so pete and i started out together so so the first few credits that were with peter and myself the paul riser special and things like that so and then we asked Bobby because Bobby was so funny, Peter's brother, and who wasn't a writer, he was getting a business degree. Uh, and we asked Bobby always to read our scripts and to give us notes, and his notes were always fantastic. So at a certain point, several years in, after Pete and I had been writing together as a, as a team, we uh, Pete said, "What do you think about asking Bobby to join us as a you know a part of the partnership?" And and I was like, "Absolutely, he's 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 been great." A great help and so and then we wrote together the three of us wrote together and that and that that's how dumb came around and, and dumb and dumber too and um but uh but here's the funny thing it's, it's interesting when you said how, how you went back and looked at dumb and dumber the thing I, I don't you can't you know things there have been think about all the movies that are considered the greatest movies ever made there's so many like movies that are great and, and they did and they may have done really well and whatever and they're forgotten they're not in the, they're they're not remembered even though if you look back and you said oh wow yeah that is a famous movie oh that and, and i remember loving that movie there's but dumb and dumber is in this weird rarefied zeitgeist of 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 culty kind of movies that have somehow because when it came out it made it, it was very successful having been the third Jim Carrey movie of 1994. He did Ace Ventura and then The Mask. And now the momentum on him was tremendous. And we came in at the very end in December of 1994. And so it did really well, but it was not received well. Like, like, like critics did not, it, it, it was a popular hit, but it was not a critical hit in any way, shape or form. And so, and the, so it could have, life could have just gone on and sort of, Dumb and Dumber would have been one of those movies that people would say like 10 years later, like, oh yeah, that was funny. But no, that's not what happened to it. It gained in its popularity as people got older and then people like, I can't tell you how many people, it's generational. Like somebody who loved it when they were a teenager shows it to their kids now and the kids yeah. love it. It's, and you can't, that's outside even of, of popular success. That's even outside of, of monetary success. That's something that's that gets bestowed upon a movie that you can't create it. You can't, uh, nothing, we, we just wrote the movie and made the movie we wanted to see. But the fact that it's so embraced and, and has gotten over the years warmer and warmer reception and, and people rem remember it in, in, a, in such a nice way. And uh, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. I don't. I never take it for granted. I'm so touched that all I wanted to do as a kid was my. I, I said I. I want to write movies. I want to. I want to do something that takes people away from 
the worries of the day. I remember thinking that when I was a kid, that's what I want to do. I want to do something that entertains people and takes them away for a little bit. And to know that I've contributed in some small way, in one third of a small way, to something that's done that is an incredibly satisfying feeling. It makes me, it really touches me when, when someone tells me they like it. You know, uh, I never get tired of it. And it's not, it's not the ego part of it. it it's just the fact that I did, I, 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 I achieved what I wanted to do as a kid to know that, mm -hmm. that, that I was able to do that is a really lovely thing. It, it's try, it, 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 it blows my mind every time I, and I, and it comes up all the time in my life. All, you know, multiple times in a month, it'll, I'll, I'll be impacted by, I'll either see a quote from it or, or see it, it, you know, on TV or somebody calls me and says, oh, my, my, I just ran into somebody. It turns out it's their favorite movie I, all the time, Tony. It, it never ends. And I, and, and I never get tired of hearing about it. I get tired of me talking about because I'm so, I think it's so, I I hear my voice and I'm like, oh God, Bennett, shut up. But, uh, but I don't <laughs> mind hearing about it at all. Um, yeah, we yeah I think it's become lucky. like the Shawshank. I think it's become Shawshank yeah, where very, it comes on TV and yeah. it's uh, it, it's what you watch and it's you whether it's Shawshank it. or it's Forrest Gump or something. And you just go, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to I got nothing going on. I don't care if there's commercials and it's edited. I'm going to go check this out. And uh, I, I think it's great. And I think what what also is going on now is it's great diversion for a lot of people that yes. there's no politics involved. There's no not, it's like it's true escapism for two hours. You're watching. Yeah. And you just say, like, look, I just want to watch something silly. That's all it is. It's silly. Yeah. It was I, I, I'm going to go watch this movie with these two ridiculous characters and their ridiculous hijinks. Whatever's going on in the world, all the trials and tribulations that are happening, I, 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 I got it. I got to do it, and that's why I think a lot of people, no matter political spectrums, race, gender, anything like sexuality, I think people yeah. enjoy that because it's, it's just again, it's dumb. <laughs> that's what's and great about it. We didn't lie at any point. <laughs> we we called it Dumb and Dumber, and we delivered. And uh, and that's that's you know, my mom, by the way. Uh, only had one review ever in her life. She only had one review of mine on her refrigerator that she kept. That's it. Nothing else. And it was a review of Dumb and Dumber. And I wish I could remember who wrote it. But the review, the quote that, that she had, like, you know, highlighted on the refrigerator was the writer's mother should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was my mom. In a nutshell, I just love that. That's that was the only review she kept. Uh, but it's a, you know, it's it's a it's a lovely thing. And you know, the Zucker brothers are part of how we got started. How Pete and I got started because uh, the re the way we even got started at all is that Peter and I met in graduate school in Massachusetts, and uh, we instantly knew we had the same sense. Of, we met the first day of grad school. We knew we had the same sense of humor, and so we uh, we said, let's write a movie together let's write a comedy and, and, and neither of us had any connection to the business he's from cumberland rhode island even even though i'm from los angeles i had no connection my, my family had not you know and so we wrote this stupid this stupid uh comedy called dust to dust about two idiots this is like this is 1986 so two idiots and, and we were thinking bill murray and john candy who get a job at a, um, a discount uh, funeral home, you know, with uh, special holiday layaway sale signs on it. And it turns out that they're, they're smuggling drugs and everything. And now we have this silly spec script 
what do we do with it? So Pete was on a date in uh, New York and the girl on the date said, Eddie Murphy moved in next door to her parents in Alpine, New Jersey. He was like, really? Do you ever see him? And she said, yeah, he was washing his car last week. And, and so he gave her dust to dust. She called about a week later and said, you're not going to believe this, but he was coming out to get his mail. I ran over and gave it to him. Meanwhile, I was at home for the for the holidays, for the uh, you know, for the Jew. They're not just the Jewish holidays now. They're also it's also Christmas at the same time. And uh, and my sister, Freda, by the way, my sister's name is Freda. And we did name Freda Felcher after my sister. Just so you know, she is the original Freda. Uh, she said, I, I love that anecdote, by the way. Oh, it's, <laughs> she, I, yeah. It took, I, when I was doing my research on you and when I saw that, I'm like, oh, OK, so like. As, you're, as a writer, you're pulling things from your personal life and you hear that, I'm like, oh, okay, I got it now. I love that. I think, I, I, not to be crass. From Cranston? I, I, from Cranston, yeah. Freda Felcher from Cranston. So she, was, she would go uh, dancing, folk dancing, and she knew David Zucker of the Zucker Brothers. How and I that? said, Freda, will you give Dust to Dust to David Zucker? And she said, sure. She gave it to him. Now, remember, this was back in 1980 six when you could do that a script was a physical thing that you could hand to somebody and you could possibly even hand it to a celebrity you know it'd be easy enough to get it to david zucker who wasn't a celebrity necessarily but eddie murphy at that time was the number one box office he had just done beverly hills cop it was coming off of that and so we dissolved to six months later and now there's an article in the los angeles times all about it was called the Eddie Murphy script derby. And it's all about how all these writers are trying to write scripts for Eddie Murphy to, to star in. And the opening of the article said, Eddie Murphy was looking out his Alpine, New Jersey home when he saw a sight that made his heart sag. It was a neighbor coming across the street with a script, you know, the script dust to dust. And here's what happened. She gave it to him. He read it. He loved it. He flew back to Los Angeles and he was in LA for a while. They were looking for Peter Farrelly and Benny Young, the names that he remembered from the script, but we weren't we, we weren't represented anywhere. We're just two guys still finishing our program in Massachusetts. And that they purposely put that in there so that hopefully whoever those guys would call, were would call in. And we called, we called, we said, hey, we're, we wrote that script. And they said, we've been looking for you guys. You know, Eddie wants to meet you. He wants you to write something. Meantime, at exactly the same time, my sister Freda, not Freda Felcher, but Freda, uh, says Bennett, David Zucker read your script. He really liked it. He wants to meet with you guys. And we talked to David and he said, I, I let uh, my brother and, and our partner, Jim, read it and we want you guys to work for us. So that's how we got started. We got started and they had just made, they had already made Airplane and they had finished, they were about to release Top Secret, their second movie. That was the timing of it. Okay. So, yeah. uh, and so which, which was, life. which would for folks listening right now, they had uh police squad, which was the TV show, which if you think about it nowadays would be like a five season Netflix show would have been so popular, but it oh, just, yeah. it didn't work for them on network television. So eventually they kind of retooled it and turned it into the naked gun and then had two more after that. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, you're talking about, true like like i mean they were coming from the kentucky fried theater and what yeah. they were able to do with kentucky fried movie and stuff those sketches they really were comedic geniuses and they all worked really well in tandem as well as pat proft oh yeah the pat was i i'm kind of i feel like i, I 
I am sort of the Pat Proft of, of the Farrelly brothers, the way Pat <laughs> Proft is the Pat Proft of ZAZ. Uh, and so, so that's how we got started. And by the way, that couldn't possibly happen today. Not one bit of how we got started could happen today. You cannot, first of all, what are you gonna do? Uh, hand a hard drive to somebody, slip it into a, a celebrity's coat pocket. You can't even get near a celebrity to do it. Uh, so, so it wouldn't happen. You know, we were just very, we were astonishingly lucky to have a break like that. And not just that, but the material was funny enough that it, it made Eddie Murphy laugh and it made David Zucker and, and it made them laugh. So that our, thank goodness, we wrote something that was funny. And, and again, that was our first script ever, but it, there was something in it that they saw and uh, it got us off to a start. We were very lucky. Well, what, you know, I keep mentioning about the, the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams is that what made airplanes so great. And I think, you know, you know exactly where I'm going with this is that airplane. Of course, you had Robert Hayes, who was, you know, I think he was I forgot what the TV show he was on at the Angie. time. Angie. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. And but he was like not a an A-list actor at the time. And. But you want to do a silly movie taking from zero hour, which is almost like a scene by scene. If you really watch yeah. zero hour and then you watch airplane, you go, oh, this really is like somebody should have paid big money for this because it's almost a complete well, they, did, they didn't pay it. big. They got I mean, they got it for very cheap, but they got it. They snapped it up right away because they knew they it was a perfect template for them, you know. But Airplane, of course, uh, the studio wanted comedians. They wanted yeah. the Chevy Chases, the Bill Murrays of the time. And the Zuckerberg, ZAZ, what they wanted is they said, no, we need straight actors to do these parts because and to do them straight, to play them straight. And then that's what's going to make it funny is the fact that you have Robert Stack saying ridiculous things or Peter Graves saying ridiculous things as themselves as being these straight actors and Leslie Nielsen, uh, you know, Lloyd Bridges, everybody. And getting back to Dumb and Dumber, I'm sure the studio wanted paired with Jim Carrey to have some silly comedian of the time of the early 90s. And oh, yeah. you guys were adamant at getting somebody like uh, like Jeff Daniels, who was not known for comedy at the time. He was in he was in kind of like some uh, rom-coms, I guess, at the time, but he was a serious actor. And yeah. here he is growing his hair out and sticking his tongue in a pole and, <laughs> and getting it stuck. <laughs> and you say, like, this is this is hilarious to see somebody like Jeff Daniels. And I think a lot of people are like, why would Jeff Daniels do something like that? And my response <laughs> nearly 30 years later is, why not? I guarantee you if Jeff Daniels went to a Comic-Con today, he would get more questions about Dumb and Dumber than he would have ever gotten from anything else that he was in. I, 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 yeah, you're, you're absolutely, you're, you're right, 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 and writer, you know. You don't even need me because you've got, that's all absolutely well, we'll wrap up the podcast there. Then. I'm just kidding. Yeah, okay. uh, and where are you going to be playing? So, uh, But no, we they did want a comedian uh, and we were like, no, I, like like, first of all, we don't want there to be some competition between you know, Jim Carrey and, and his co-star. It has to be an organic fit. And we also felt that if there was a comedian, if, if they, if, I, I, I cannot remember all the names that they bantered that were, but they, they, we didn't feel they were, one of them was, was Sinbad. I remember um, for the uh, Harry. 1994 Dunn. makes sense. Yeah. Right. Right. It was really, really, really huge then. Uh, and our, we kept arguing that the point, if we have 
we loved Jeff Daniels and we loved him particularly. We loved the movie Something Wild, the uh, Jonathan Demme movie, Something Wild. And the first half of that movie is this kind of a wacky romantic comedy until Ray Liotta shows up and it gets darker and darker and darker. But we thought Jeff Daniels reaction to this weird, like he plays this straight laced guy who gets introduced to this crazy, crazy woman who takes him on this adventure. And his response to the craziness was so, he was such a great reactor. It was so funny uh, and so dry. And we were like, that's what you need because Jim is this, he's, he's, he's this intensity and, and you need somebody and, and like an actor will pull Jeff or Jim back into sort of reality, you know, mm-hmm. and in fact, I remember when I, the first time I met Jim, it was the day that I saw Ace Ventura. I was, I was literally coming from the movie to go meet him. And I, I stumbled out of that movie going, is he going to be doing that? Like, 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 because there's not a line in Ace Ventura that's delivered normally. It's all, you know, and, and so the first thing he said when, when I met him, I shook his hand and he said, and he said come on in. And he said, but first of all, I just want to tell you something. I am not doing Ace Ventura in this movie. I promise you I'm doing a character. And in, in my head, I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, we knew that, that Jeff was the person, an actor would pull Jim, who is an actor too, but it was so sort of at that point, kind of known for his extreme portrayals on In Living Color. And he was a stand-up too, you know. And people forget that Jim at that point, I I think if you had done this movie in 86, as opposed to 94, I think you get a different Jim Carrey because he had only had like one major like acting credit, which was the Duck Factory, which is a a really short lived TV show that had, uh, you know, it was it was like a weird cartoon mashup of and again, another show that I think on cable TV would have worked and it didn't work that well. So you got a little bit more of a seasoned Jim Carrey at that point, as opposed to just being the silly guy who was opening for Rodney on the road at that time. And he'd done a couple of movies. He'd done, I think, Once Bitten, this kind of vampire comedy with Lauren, Lauren, oh, I can't remember her name, beautiful actress. Uh, And also Earth Girls Are Easy. He was in that too. So he'd done some comedy, but, but, by the Jack time Guilford we... was the name I was thinking of in the Duck Factory. Jack Guilford. Oh, Jack Guilford. Yeah, he was a great yeah. actor. I love great him. actor. Great actor. Uh, but so by the time that we he signed on to Dumb, he had already made Ace. It hadn't been released yet. He had made The Mask. It hadn't been released yet. So I think as we were filming, oh, Ace had been released when he signed on because that's when I met him. Just, just yeah. Uh, but then when he, he made The Mask, and I remember going to, see, to the movie theaters because New Line made The Mask, and so they were happy to have Jim be in Dumb and Dumber. That they, they were perfectly fine to put him in it. And they put a trailer for Dumb and Dumber on The Mask, and I would sit in the theaters, and I would watch the audience, and I was like, and this is now, Jim's popularity is huge from Ace Ventura and The Mask, too. And I, you could feel the audience, they were roaring at the trailer, and I said, Wow, we are we are in a pole position here coming in third. Like we're you know, I I, I had the chills because I, I was mm-hmm. like, this this could be a big hit, you know. Well, be. and and what I liked about that is you, you, as you said, 1994 is you have Ace Ventura and you have the mask that comes out. And the mask is which is interesting because he plays Stanley Ipkiss, who is a uh, essentially he's the straight man and the 
the foil. Like he's yes. the comedian, which is very interesting. Right. It's like he's playing the Martin and Lewis in that movie. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, you know, it's 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 kind of dark in some ways. And you have Peter Regert and uh, but Ace Ventura, I heard now uh, you might be able to confirm this, that that was a script that had been floating around Hollywood for several years. And they couldn't they either couldn't find the right person for the part or nobody wanted that. And you it know, wasn't I, I, until it came came out in the early I, 90s that uh, finally they're like, OK, that how about that guy who's playing uh, Fire Marshal Bill on In Living Color? Is yeah. he, might, he might be the guy. I don't, you know, I honestly don't know about it, but I can tell you that that Dumb and Dumber was roundly rejected by every studio more than once because we tried to retitle it to send it out again. We had two other titles besides Dumb and sent it out as Dumb and Dumber. Everyone turned it down. And then we called it Go West and everyone turned that down. And then Why? It's a Marx Brothers movie. It, and then we called it a, a, a Power Tool is Not a Toy which was a song. And I cannot remember the name of the group that did this song. We just said, let's just call it something weird that got turned down. And, and so it was multi, it was repeatedly turned down over and over again until this small uh, little independent company called motion picture, the young adults, the young adults. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this little company. And, and we were not only were we sending it out, but we were also saying that Peter was attached to direct it. And Peter had never directed anything at no, credits he hadn't directed a music video nothing so it couldn't be a less appealing product to to try and bring to a studio this whacked script about these two idiots with a with a guy who's never directed I, that made no sense but there was a little company called motion picture corporation and the two producers uh steve stabler and brad, brad Cavoy, they read it and they were like this is funny we don't care if if he, if he hasn't directed something we'll make it and they were going to make it for i think back then like 200 like under under a million dollars like, like they were they were it was going to be that small but once that gave a, a kind of gravitas to the reality of of it happened like there's something legitimate now there's the script just like ho usually in hollywood everyone turns it down the moment someone says yes they're like oh i want that too you know so that's kind of what got what interested new line again and i can't i wish i could remember i could have to ask pete and bob who originally got the script to jim because Obviously, once Jim read it and was like, I want to do this, that was huge. But that, he was at that time involved with New Line, having just finished the mask. And so uh, that brought New Line into the picture. New Line said, we'll co-produce we'll co this with the Motion Picture Corporation and, and we'll let Pete direct. And and they did. And the rest, the rest is history. History, sorry. Yeah, the, so Jim Carrey had a chip in his tooth originally, had a cap yes. he wore, and then decided to take the cap off for this yeah. movie just to yes. seem a little sillier. Now, what uh, yeah. as far as the, the original script and what you guys kind of put together and what was what we see right now when we still watch the movie, what differences were there? Were there some, you know, some changes that the, maybe the studio had to come in there or maybe some things had to get upgraded or some things get cut? Like what differed from the original script to what we see on television? It very, very little, but I'll tell you uh, very, very little. Um, and in fact, if you read if you read uh, the script, the shooting script, as opposed to uh, you, you know how I mean, there's there's there are moments of improvisation that they, they would always shoot what was written. And then Pete would say, oh, let's do uh, let's do another one. Do and 
if, if there's something you want to try, try it, you know, and some of those got in. Absolutely. Sometimes uh, Jeff, Jim would come and say, I want to try this. Let's, let's do that. And, and that would mean another take. But the one thing that we did do that was the original ending was different. The original ending was different than the one with the girls on the bus. That was all reshot after we we were previewing it and previewing it with the original ending. And, I, and I, if I remember the original ending is um, their friend who works at the hotel, the, the uh, older gentleman comes to them and offers them a job working at the hotel. It's, it's all they have to do is work like two days a week, like, like a few hours a day, and they turn it down and walk away blithely. It just, it just wasn't, it, it didn't have any impact. And once we, we previewed it, we said, we need a, a more of a kicker of an ending. And then, so we went back and, and the whole, that, that whole thing with the bus was shot afterwards and, and was the, per, you know, worked perfectly. But what you see is really what, what was in it. I mean, the improvisations are, um, I don't remember if, uh, if uh, the, the uh, Mockingbird was, the, was in the script, whether we've specified that or they came up with that on set. With Mike Starr. With Mike Starr, with the indefatigable Mike Starr. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love Mike Starr because, of course, he's in Sopra Sopranos, he's in uh, Goodfellas, and uh, he has so that scene in Uncle Buck where he's playing the clown, the drunken clown. He's like, what are you, Mother <laughs> Cabrini, and have a touch of stuff? <laughs> he's, so, he's so good. And by the way, uh, Joe Mental, played by by uh, what's her name, uh, uh, the MTV actress, she that was originally a, a man. I mean, like in the script, Joe Mental was was supposed to be a male, but uh, she was great. We just we didn't we because I think we we had never made a movie before. It never actually been in charge in the driver's seat. There were a lot of decisions we made were based on why not rather than you can't do that and if you yeah. like if we knew better perhaps we would have said like oh well they won't let us do that but no we we, we made the decisions out of kind of like a, a lovely naivete which helps the movie i think a lot and charles rocket is great in that movie too and you know a lot, it's weird his career was so it was really derailed because he said fuck on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, right? And, and then he but had, he oh, he was yeah. great in that movie because for a guy who was, had a background in comedy, like he could have played that role, and he did play it very straight. Very. And I, that's what I loved about that is that he didn't go over the top. He no. didn't make it seem like oh hey, because again I'm going back to Airplane. Is that if you know you're in a comedy, if you're an actor who is playing a serious part. And you're trying to play it straight and you know you're doing a comedy that's where it's done that's where it's like okay now we're doing leslie nielsen and all those other silly dracula dead and loving it and all the other yes. weird mel brooks movies is that when you know that you're kind of exposing yourself that way and that's what i think charles rocket you know it's sad how his life ended up um, oh. committed suicide back in about 2005 but it's terrible he was yeah great in that movie i thought it was, like, it was good i i thought his career should have really taken off after that i know and and it, 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 yeah it's it's very it's uh, it's so sad how 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 it ended but by the way david zucker talks about that all the time when they were shooting airplane you know they had all these serious actors and they were trying to get them to find the right way to deliver it and not be funny like like they'd read the script and think this is a funny line i have to play it funny and so they and they'd say no no don't play it funny Pull, play it straight. Do not read that line. 
and and they had to really adjust. And once once he loves to talk about like Robert Stack got it right off the bat. Leslie Nielsen got it right off the bat. Jeff Jim uh, or uh, Lloyd Bridges sort of had to be directed because he he went a little too much on the other side. He started playing it for laughs, and they're like, nope, nope, nope. Pull, we, yeah, we after the me. after it's it's the wrong week for quit <laughs> quit. Yes, to quit. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, well, well, he he said about Robert Stack, the way that they were able to do that was apparently John Biner, who's a previous podcast guest, John Biner did a Robert Stack impression of him doing something uh, like where he does that speech where he says, you know, he's the head honcho, the big cheese, whatever. Yes, and Robert yeah. Stack was trying to figure out it's like, so John Biner does me better than I do me. <laughs> he did an impression <laughs> of John Biner doing an impression of him. And that's that's how he, he he knew. That's how they directed him to play it, which is hysterical. It's like like a do it as a Xerox of yourself, you know. Because who, who, how do you have the uh, uh, you know how do you have the objectivity to see it in quite the way? It's like Nixon impressions were not accurate. Nixon impressions they were all like there was one famous Nixon impression, David Fry. David Fry, right? And everyone now does a David Fry impression of Nixon, which was a you know, a, a heightened, ridiculous impression of it, but everyone's doing David Fry doing Nixon. They're not doing Nixon per se. Yeah, when no everybody did Nixon the Ed Sullivan anymore. impression, everyone was doing yeah. that. We're a really big show, and it's like they right. did. Uh, I think that I think there was another David Fry. I think it was David Fry and John Biner. It was David Fry, and it was also oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. It was who, Frank who, Gorshin? No, no, and he was famous for his. He was famous for doing, uh, and I even think that they got the guy to do it in uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, because because they hired him, the actor, to actually perform it. Oh, I wish I could remember his name, in I Want to Hold Your Hand. So when you see uh, Ed Sullivan on I Want to Hold Your Hand, it is that actor who was famous for doing him uh, at the time. Oh, it almost came to mind. Uh, yeah, I'm, or- I'm looking... Uh- I'm looking yeah, it check, up so when people are listening, they're like, come yes, on, check, I, know check, the- I know it's it takes a long time to write. I wanna hold. <laughs> oh, I almost remembered it now, but I forgot it. But but look who played Ed Sullivan and that guy Will was- Jordan. Will, Will Jordan. Jordan. Right. Very who, famous. Will uh, Jordan, who by impressive. the way, I think it towards the end of his career, basically he was only doing private events and doing the George C. Scott as Patton. And that that for, for like reciting the entire speech, the yeah. entire movie of Patton. Be seated. <laughs> like yeah, he would do that. He'd wear the jodhpurs and he'd have the uh the, the the helmet and everything. Yeah, he was yeah. doing that until he was. I think it was like a hundred when he died. But wow, that's what, that's what was great about Dumb and Dumber that that I think is a comedy fan. But I think even if you're not a comedy fan, you're just somebody who likes watching movies that you don't really appreciate the science that goes into this and. The fact that you can have a serious actor play with Jim Carrey, who is a comedian who does acting. And then now you have an actor who's doing comedy. And I think that's what made a great, a really good marriage there. And then you know, you look at what the, the Farrelly brothers did after that with having Randy Quaid and Bill Murray yeah. and Kingpin. And then yeah. you go on to There's Something About Mary with, of course, you have Ben Stiller, but Ben Stiller could play things very straight because of based on who his parents were. And, yeah. you know, you throw in Jeffrey Tambor, you throw in, uh, um, you know, uh, like this ensemble cast that works, Cameron Diaz, who, you know, obviously in the aforementioned The Mask. Um, yeah. it, it's it, working with those guys, the Fairley brothers, just had to have been 
based on their their output that they've put in movies and everything and it's like it, it, honestly it's not a large output but it's good enough where you go these guys are like they know comedy and it, it, to be attached to that has to be something you, you really kind of keep on your sleeve here oh and i'll tell you another thing is that they're such they are such great guys they they are they are menches, you know, the old the old Yiddish term for a, a good person. They are menches. They're great guys. And they're and so their sets are filled with the crew. They, they use the same crew over and over again because people want to work with them over and over again because it's fun. It's a, it's it's laughs. It's 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 upbeat. It, it's and they treat everybody so nicely and everyone like like they are not imperious at all. They're not the directors, you know, and and. Someone can come to them and say, "Here's an I've got an idea," and they always listen to it. And if it's they, they are they are the essence of what whoever can contribute something that's good, it will go in the movie because it it it, it makes the better product. We're we're a team here. Let's make the best thing we can. So what have you got for us? Bring it to us. They they are the essence of that. So so their 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 sets are so much fun. Or you know. Uh, they're a blast. Yeah. They're such well, a, I, and I them. That's what I was concerned about when that Three Stooges movie came out. And that uh, when I had heard that they were putting a Three Stooges movie and they're like, oh, we're going to have Will Sasso is going to play Curly and we're going to have uh, Sean Hayes going to be Larry Fine. I'm like, ah, here we go. They're going to butcher the Three Stooges. And then when I saw it, it said the Fairley brothers. Yeah. And when I realized that they were getting Billy West, who used to do the well, he still does a lot of the great Three Stooges impressions, including Larry Fine, to coach them. Yeah. And when you know you watch the movie, it's like, is it the greatest movie? No, but at least those characters, those three, did the characters justice. And I, I thought it was great. And the fact that the Fairley brothers were behind it, that's where I think a lot of that that's what's great about it is the fact that you're dealing with now royalty in Hollywood, where if a Fairley brothers stamp of approval is on something you're like okay i'm going to enjoy this like if it's you know if it's somebody else who's trying to butcher it you go oh god i don't know about this but when i see it says the Fairley brothers are directing a three stooges movie yeah i'm like okay i can entrust that this movie first of all is not going to suck it's just going to you know take me on this journey because i've seen what your output has been and you know looking back i know some critics didn't really like it that much, but I thought I, I thought the performances were great. I thought, I thought Will Sasso great. really yeah. did what he could to channel Curly and uh, yeah, all of know, them. They, they were coached really well. Yeah, they are. and by the way, that movie could have been a whole. It could have been a whole, so many different things. But what they did structurally, even, was to just make it three shorts because they love the Three Stooges and they know their three. Stooges. Uh, and and Mike uh, Cerrone, who co-wrote it with them, is like a Three Stooges expert. So it, it's it's so affectionate. I mean, that's that my point is so much affection for the Three Stooges that that uh, that they were the right ones to they really were the right ones to make it. You know, um, and those those actors did they were terrific in it. I really thought they were great. You know, um, getting yeah. back to Dumb and Dumber really quick is that uh, of course there were the there was the prequel and the sequel. I remember going to see the the prequel in the theaters, and of course it you know there, there was the scene about Bob Saget and the chocolate and the, and the bathroom. We had nothing great. to do with that creatively, by the way. We we did, uh, even though I'm listed as executive producer, I just took that as a a gratuity. You know, like 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 technically they said, do you want to be on it? But I, we didn't have anything to do with it. In fact, when they came to us and said. Do you want to do you want to do this? Do you want to write it? And we and our problem was we said, well, you know, Dumb and Dumber is about two adults who are 
adult adolescence. It's not as funny when they're teenage, when they're high school adolescents, you know, and that, and that's why we, we said, no, it's, they're funny when they're adults, but they're not funny. When, it's not funny when they're younger. So we, we passed on that, but yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't the biggest fan of that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I remember seeing it because again, th but that's, that's the one thing is you went to go see that movie because you enjoyed the original movie. And sure. It's one of those where you just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And then you realize, ah, did I really want more? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Or but, did I want that? Or, you know, give well, me less. What, what about the cartoon? Did you have anything to do with that? I did have something to do with the cartoon. They, they had the cartoon was in motion to be made. And they decided they, they came to us and said, do any of you want to be to work on the cartoon? And, and Pete and Bob asked me and I said, well, sure, I don't mind doing that. But what the problem was, they dropped me in as the as a showrunner. I had had I had had zero experience, and a showrunner is it's you have to actually kind of matriculate to get to that position. You have to start as a as a staff writer and move up and up and up on the chain. And I hadn't done any of that, so I got dropped into it, and I was absolutely over my head and didn't know how, and quite frankly, didn't know how to do it. So. I hired a bunch of my friends to write episodes and I wrote the first episode, but it was not, it was a difficult experience for me because I wasn't, I, I really wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fit for it. I wasn't, I, and I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't right for it. I, I wasn't ready for it either. So, um, so I was involved, but, uh, 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 and I actually had to leave it just because I realized I was in over my head and I said, oh, I can't, I've, I've got to give this to more qualified people. That was it. I wasn't qualified. So. Quite frankly, uh, here's something that maybe, you know, and maybe like one other person outside of me knows about this in the audience. Uh, that Dumb and Dumber cartoon, which was yeah. produced by Hanna-Barbera. Yes. Was the final Hanna-Barbera cartoon ever shown on network television. Wow. We were the nail in their coffin. <laughs> no, I think they they. That, well, you know, so I, I'm here's weird trivia. I'll, I'll say because I like the fact that I, I was a huge, obviously, as all of us were Hanna Barbera fans. But yeah. why did Hanna Barbera go away? Like, why did it get to that point? And I'll tell you why. And I, I, I know you know this is that by the 1980s, cartoons just turned into like public relations for merchandise. So long gone were the days of the Scooby-Doo. Well, I mean, the Scooby-Doo became fairly marketable, but yeah, there wasn't really, you didn't get a Fred Flintstone stuffed animal, but you can get a Transformer, you can get a Care Bear, you get a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So those awful cartoons in the 1980s were just a way to sell toys. And because of that, Hanna-Barbera's cartoons really kind of went by the wayside at that point and you know they did a couple other things like two stupid dogs it was on uh uh it was a tbs or what some of those other networks those off networks but the last cartoon that hanna-barbera ever had on network television was the dumb and dumber cartoon show wow oh that's fast i didn't know that i really didn't know that either but uh you're probably right i i know i know I know that I, I regret that that I wish I had been more qualified because I I would have uh, you know been able to I, I mean I've seen some of the episodes I have never seen all of them and you can get I think there's you get DVDs you can find them on 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 uh, on YouTube and watch them too you know so when I came they'd already decided that they they were going to use the van and they were going to have a, a a 
beaver uh, a beaver mascot with them. I can't remember what the beaver's name. So uh, so I kind of I dropped in late, but um, but the, I thought the voice the voice actors Bill Fagerbachy and oh what was his name? He's so oh the guy who did uh, who Matt did, Frewer. Uh, oh, oh well, he Matt, was uh, Matt Max Frewer. Hedrick. Yeah, were, Max were the voice characters were the, the, those guys were great. You know. Um, yeah, that was an interesting. It was an interesting time in my life. Uh, I, I barely remember that show, to be honest. Uh, yeah, me too. Again, they, they. I think they did a they did a Ace Ventura show around that time. They I'm, did. I'm looking, yeah, they did. I'm looking here, and uh, yeah, they and the mask show. They did a mask show too. Good lord, they really. I don't think it was really tried to squeeze was, as much as they could out of that Jim Carrey. Yeah, I don't know if it was if it was. Uh, yeah, look at that Tom Kenny who went on to be the. Top voice artist, SpongeBob. Is and, yeah, I mean SpongeBob, Garrett Graham. Look at those actors. Bronson Mor- Pinchot. Wow, Maurice LaMarche was in it. I met him a couple of uh, no, actually last year. Uh, Kathy Najimy, who was John Casier, who was who was, who was the uh, the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, it was Brad Garrett. Oh, look at that. That's a that's a great I I love voice actors. That's another thing is that you talk about TV writers, voice actors kind of got the shaft after. Aladdin that they're like oh no we need to get A-listers to do these parts and they're like yeah there's a lot of great voice actors who could probably use some work too <laughs> and they were going to really get the shaft if if they could recreate their voices artificially you know huge shaft so oh yeah yeah that's that, yeah. that's a good point uh, D- uh Dumb and Dumber of course the soundtrack which I think is one of the greatest and all my friends agree with this is some of the greatest soundtracks ever I I've had an opportunity to talk to uh, the guys from Crash Test Dummies Baldy Peter <laughs> Pumpkinhead which is a cover of an XTC song oh, um, I didn't know that it has a great soundtrack I agree with you fantastic the the original is pretty good but I like the Crash Test Dummies version because you do have the the duet that's in there and uh and the lead singer's voice is like really it's like very bassy it's really good but New Age Girl she don't like me but she sure licked the bone um <laughs> uh, I mean these are just great songs too much of a good thing is another great song by the Suns uh Green like, Green like, Jello it, I've seen them live and they've performed the Bear song What other comedy can you think of that has a soundtrack that you remember like like there are like a, a soundtrack of songs <laughs> that you can remember not a lot of them not a lot of them I'll tell you there's there's the scene, there's the scene in Dumb and Dumber <laughs> when they play the cover of the uh you know get ready the temptation song uh the proclaimers do it who do the the I would walk 500 miles and yeah. the scene every time I play that song with some of my friends we act out Lloyd <laughs> in the car yeah in, where it's like yeah, what are you Lloyd, what are you doing it's like it's like you're running at an incredibly fast rate it's like god we're not we're not even out of Connecticut yet and you're already annoying me yeah, stop being so annoying yeah. <laughs> I mean again we're talking about a movie that's nearly 30 years old I can quote it like I could just I was actually in fact a couple of years ago I was just in Providence Rhode Island and uh, one of my coworkers, we were just kind of hanging out and we we're just playing clips from the, we couldn't find it on whatever, you know, network we were looking for, but watching the clips and going like, this is where it started. This is where the, you know, uh, the, the, the bug, the, the worm farm and the, the airport scene, all that kind of stuff is like, it's a, there was the, um, uh, you know, where he gets robbed by the old lady. <laughs> in the motorized cart it's it that's what's great about it and after all these years it really has become part of the vernacular part of the zeitgeist and you know i I, you know i you talk about people who 
you know, oh, I'm sure you're sick of hearing about Dumb and Dumber or you're or like any kind of celebrity. Like, I again, getting back to Airplane, people will come up to Robert Hayes and say, I'm sure you're sick of hearing about Airplane or Julie Haggerty. It's like, oh, you know, and they're like, uh, that made my career here. Yeah, and yeah. so like, I'm sick about. It? No, of course not. I'd love no. to talk more about it. What are you you're telling me that you you that something I did impacted you in, in a way that it made you laugh? It took it. I mean. Who would get ever get tired of hearing that? It, 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 I never get tired of it. it. It always touches me. It means a lot to me, you know? Well, I, I, I love the movie. I know a lot of our listeners will, will love this podcast and love the movie. And um, I, I'm going to go. I might go watch it tonight. Let's see what time is it. Uh, <laughs> currently on the East Coast right now. It's after 10 o'clock. If you're watching on the YouTube. Yes, the the from when we started the podcast to where it is now, I'm just doing this outside. The reason I'm doing this podcast outside is my wife's watching all her TV shows and she doesn't want me to annoy her. <laughs> we, we live in a two bedroom apartment and you know, it's like, Oh, you're all, oh, you're really loud on your podcast. You got to crank it up. And you know, like, yeah, you know what? I'll just do it outside of my little outdoor studio here. And you can catch up on your programs after you got done with work. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, <clears throat> It's make, been sure you watch, make sure you watch the original. Don't watch that. There's this awful, like, extended version that we had nothing to do with, with alternate takes and, and extra material in it. Watch the original one that you saw in the theater, the one, I think it's one hour, 42 minutes. And that that's John Denver's that full of shit, man. That's John Denver's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I can quote, oh, I, I heard there were a couple other scenes that did get cut. One of them was the the scene when uh, Harry is shitting in the, in the toilet that doesn't work. That, that went longer. Yeah. I mean, like he literally takes the toilet, undoes it and, and is out the window. He's splashing it out the window. And, oh, so and he's taking so he's taking it out the with throwing the, the shit out the window. He's literally <laughs> carrying the toilet tank and, and spilling the toilet out the window. And I was the first cut, which was long of like dumb was like two hours, 40 minutes. To, it was long because it had everything in it. And Jeff Daniels manager was sitting next to me. And uh, and this, the bathroom scene came up, with, and it was truly like th two and a half, three minutes long. And, and he turned to me, and I'll never forget, ashen. I mean, there wasn't <laughs> an ounce of color in his face. He said, "You're cutting that, aren't you?" And I said, "Oh yeah, it's out. Don't worry about it. It's out." <laughs> I well, it, it, you know, when I heard about that anecdote, and you realize it's like, oh, he's stuck in this. How does the toilet get fixed? And you don't hear the the answer to it like did he what what did he do did he actually miraculously fix this broken toilet did what happened and when i heard that yeah he was he took the toilet off of the, the floor he broke it even and poured more. It out the window yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like that scene from uh the charlie brown christmas is that at the beginning for uh, again here weird cartoon trivia because i i don't know I'm, i must be on the spectrum or something <laughs> that uh it was sponsored by coca-cola the original Charlie Brown Christmas was sponsored by Coca-Cola. And then by the, you know, with syndication by the early seventies, it was then sponsored by like Dolly Madison cakes and everything. And the Coca-Cola, which at the time you, you know, you had the camel caravan, you had like in show sponsorship that was going on uh -huh. at the time. There were scenes where Coca-Cola cans and product placement was in the show that they had to digitally take out. Oh, interesting. So like there was that scene when, um, uh, when Linus has the blanket and they're trying to throw a snowball to hit a can originally it was a Coca-Cola can. 
Ah. So they had to digitally take that out and just make it a regular plain red can. Well, when you see at the beginning of Charlie Brown Christmas, when Linus and Charlie Brown are are skating on the ice and then Snoopy comes around, grabs Linus's blanket and they start to spin around. All you see is where Charlie Brown ends up and he gets snow that's on his head and it says Charlie Brown Christmas. Well, you don't see where Linus ends up because he goes into a Coca-Cola vending machine. Or it's oh, either wow. a vending machine or a sign. And it said, from the makers who bottle Coca-Cola in your area. Oh, that's and funny. So, it just gets so they cuts. Just, they just like like re, re, rejiggered the, the 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 image so that that part of it that 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 part of it was out. That's I think gross. it was just like a rough edit or something like that. They just like huh. put it there and then immediately had to go to the next scene. Um and it's like at the end when they start to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it cuts off at the end. It's because as they're singing, it says, brought to you by the makers who bottle Coca-Cola. <laughs> and you go uh-huh. like, and, and now that I've seen this and they've hacked at it so many times, I'm like, all right, I think I'm an expert on the Charlie Brown Christmas. But that's what reminded me of it when I heard that is that you don't see what happened with Harry's toilet, what, what happened when he's there. And it like, in a way, I kind of like the fact that you didn't have a conclusion. You just, in a way, assume that he had figured this out. You see him eventually come back to the hotel. And yes. it's nice the fact that you go, okay, well, it resolved itself. And we move on and we get to the yeah. next scene. You got the joke. You know, it never had, like, like, no one ever thought, like, what happened when Mary would come back to her place with the toilet full of crap from here? <laughs> like, like. No, no, and no, nor should you as an audience be thinking about that. You should just be finishing your popcorn and getting ready to leave the theater feeling happy. That's <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, Bennett, this has been a great conversation. I love talking to you. Hey, uh, thank good, you. good luck with everything from uh, the, the, from the strike, from after yeah. the strike. And uh, again, where can we find you? Can we find you on social media anywhere? Or how can I, we consume everything that is Bennett Yellen? Start with IMDb and go from there. But but also I, I am on Facebook and I and I think I'm on I think I'm on Instagram. I just never checked that. Yeah, you know, I'm an I, I'm an old fuddy duddy. I'm like, do I have to? What? How do you do this thing? Do I have, what is it? What is this internet thingy type? So, but I, I I am there. I'm on Facebook and uh, yeah and uh, yeah. Check out just go to imdb.com. Put my name in if you want to look at some other stuff. I've done a range of other kind of genres too. Like like horror like, like the the traction the script we just sold is a supernatural thriller but i've done the sequel james johnson and i co-wrote the sequel to the this thriller uh joyride that we did it was direct to dvd for fox and i've done a chris we've done a christmas movie with the wwe and um things like that so i'm all over the place but yeah i mean or just go out and live your life and be happy you don't have to you don't have to follow my career. You can be happy with that. <laughs> well, you know, you want to put a couple more bucks in your pocket. How's that sound? Well, that's that's very kind of it. If, if of course, the studios will send me the check. I have gotten uh, I've gotten a, a, a penny residual check from from Disney. A pe- you actually got a penny yeah. from Disney sent to me in an envelope and uh, and on a, on a check. Yeah, I've got more, a few of those, actually. W- was it worth the writer's cramp that you had to write those checks? <laughs> I, I I hope it was worth the cramp they got to send it, you know. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That's uh, yeah. it's a true story. I mean, they had a whole Seinfeld episode where Jerry's face was shown in a 
in a Japanese car or like TV show. And he kept getting residual text checks <laughs> for like five cents. And yeah. he's like, I'm getting hand cramps from this. And so, <laughs> but uh, it, Bennett, that was, it was great talking to you again. Good Thank luck you. with everything going forward. And we hope we, we can get to this writer strike. And uh, I, you know, I, I hope AI doesn't take, like my work, my wife works in TV news right now. And I'm hoping that AI doesn't eventually take her job and yeah. it doesn't take yours. It doesn't take, because again, that there is a soul to songwriting. There's a soul to actual, like whether it's writing a novel, you can have a computer do as much as you can do whatever you can with that, but nothing will replace the human element of true writing and like, like the true experiences and the, the passion that goes behind that. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll try, <laughs> God help them. They'll try, but, uh, uh, yeah, good luck with that because it's uh, that's going to be definitely an uphill battle with technology going forward. You know, it's like you just made me think of the you've heard of the 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 uncanny valley that concept in digital in digitally created visuals and special effects where you're watching it and it's got it's got there's just something off about it that's that's and you know it's not real. There's something that's what AI can bring you is the uncanny valley of writing, you know, or whatever AI is going to be used for. It's, it can get close, but it can't capture, like you said, that human, human touch, which is what you ultimately need to believe it. And, and to know that, you know, that was made by a, a human rather than some circuitry. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Bennett, thanks again for doing the podcast. This podcast is called the Check Your Brain Podcast. If you enjoy what you or you enjoyed what you heard and you want to hear more content just like this, check it out every Wednesday for free on the podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, the podcast <laughs> platforms. And I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer, Tony Mazer for extra content and early access to guests such as Bennett Yellen. Thanks again, Bennett. And uh, yeah, no, I'll keep in touch. I just requested you on Facebook and uh, can't wait to put this out. And thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. I had a great time.